listening to Gresh and Poirier on WEEI. Save us as a favorite on the Odyssey app. And take Boston Sports Original everywhere you go. One o'clock. Now, I know normally we talk to this guy at noon, but eh, it's the off season. A little travel going on as well for our getaway friend. Day. Uh, getaway day. Listen to you. Tommy Curd of NBC Sports Boston. Tommy is brought to us by Dr. Matthew Lopresti and Leonard Hair Transplant Associates, the hair doctor of Tommy Curran at 1-800-GET-HAIR. Be, uh, by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Become your own success story by dropping the weight holding you back. It starts with just one call to Awaken 180. And by Unified Office, where they help businesses maximize every incoming call at unifiedoffice.com. Tommy Curran with Gresham Fourier on the Harbor One Hotline. Tommy, good afternoon. How you kids doing? Hanging good. in there. Uh, you know, Fourier. Thanks for the patience. Uh, oh, not not a problem at all. Please, you're always patient with us, and it's uh, always good to be able to return the favor a little bit. So Fourier and I were talking earlier. Fourier was of the opinion that given what happened over this past holiday weekend, it's only a matter of time before the NFL figures out how to get Super Bowl weekend to sync up with uh, President's Day weekend. Tommy, you're a TV guy. I think I I blew the whistle on it and said there's only so far that the NFL can push the TV networks. They've got to accommodate the NBA and NASCAR and stuff like that. What do you make of the NFL maybe wanting to add another week before the Super Bowl and the practical application of it for these television networks to slide it back one more week? Oh, they'd be happy as hell. I, I think, and again, I think you are more industry savvy than I am, but I think that just means there's going to be that much more product to sell over the course of from the September now 10th or so until February 20th. So you're going to have that much more product. Remember when they inserted a second bye week years gone by? I think they'd love to do that again and, and create really a national holiday out of it over President's Day. I don't know if the NBA All-Star game moves. I do think that Daytona is always in the same spot, but I think that would be interesting to see. I know that they would love to do that and create that kind of a, you know, leading right into February vacation, uh, just a national Mardi Gras. Yeah, it, yeah I agree with you, and, and, and it's maybe it's just because I'm not used to not having footballs like the first weekend in a long time where there was nothing going on. So you start thinking about – Hey, how can we just keep make this a year long thing? You know, I mean, I know what that doesn't the draft, not the draft. So the combine is next week, right? Get the XFL. Yep. You got the and then you got the XFL. <laughs> so I you would had say Riviera. You could watch Riviera. You could watch all your NBA stuff. It was funny. It yeah, was, yeah, not really. I mean, be honest. Game. Be honest. Don't it, forget it was not Fourier. The same. Tommy is an NBA guy as well. So I mean, are we all NBA guys? I mean, like, I mean, just because Tom likes the NBA doesn't make him special. Um, wow. I would. I, what? That wasn't a jab. What do you mean, right. so, was, Tom? I'd like to apologize I think what for he's that. Driving at Christian. <laughs> if I watched the Denver Nuggets Sacramento Kings game last year when the Kings stunk on a January Thursday night by choice. Yeah. By choice. That's, that's right. Yeah. Then, then, yeah. That's 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 the bigger problems with you. So, what did you make of the XFL? You know, we did a whole thing about looking at some of the games and looking at some of the the tiered, you know, extra point system and just the overall product as far as what the NFL could take from there. Do you think there's anything there that eventually the NFL would want to adopt? 
Absolutely. I think it's a great proving ground the same way NFL Europe was, and nothing has really replaced NFL Europe in the, hell, it's probably been 12 to 15 years since it went away. Mm-hmm. So if you treat the XFL not as a competitor, which I don't think that they fancy themselves, but as a feeder system, that's great. And I know that, you know, Don Yee and assorted other folks who've been involved over the past couple of years have been trying to get a smaller 4-16 to 16 West Coast minor league system going because of just the inherent, as you experience right now with your son in Colorado and experienced 20 years ago when you were in Colorado, just the inherent sliminess of the business of college football. It's a business. Call it a business. Let the kids get paid more than NIL. Let them get salaries. Let them have mobility. So I think that cutting that out in some ways, it's never going to go away, college football, and I know people are have great allegiances to it, but it takes some of the hypocrisy of the sport itself out when guys are able to play for pay, even if it's the XFL or any other kind of minor league system. But I definitely think it's a great proving ground for things like that fourth and 15 extra point for things like Dean Blandino doing real time challenges and explaining where to spot the ball, as opposed to this clandestine feeling of, okay, they just overruled something for the chiefs because they want the chiefs in the Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah, You know, Tom, it's interesting that you bring it up that way because you're right. And I, I think it goes back to, transparency you know plus we love to you know hey how much behind the curtain can we see and hear Mm -hmm. and i thought the dean blandino piece of business was really good i gotta tell you the tiered extra points you know kick it for one you can go for two or you have the option to be able to go for three is that too minor league for the nfl to adopt in your opinion i think it i think it probably could be because you're starting to starting to bastardize the score itself I'm actually, ironically enough, on my little getaway here, reading a book on Jim Thorpe, a biography, and realizing that extra uh, field goals used to be four points and touchdowns were five. So we haven't had a lot of change since old Jim Thorpe was cruising around for Carlisle College. <laughs> Leave it the way it is. I don't look. I don't mind an outside the fifty field goal being worth four, but now the outside the fifty field goal, these guys have gotten so good and proficient that you'd almost have to make it an outside the 60 field goal would be bumped to four points. But I, I like anything that makes it more difficult but doesn't turn it into a sideshow. So, uh, Tom, we're talking to Tom E. Kern. And, uh, Tom, how um, – we did a little segment earlier about, uh, you know, a, a report from Albert Breer talking about how the Pats would consider dealing Mac uh, if, uh, if they didn't like – because they didn't like the way he handled last season. What is that relationship like – and do you think that Bill has a problem with Mac and the way he handled himself last year? I haven't yet seen the report specifically, so I'd have to read the wording of it. I don't well, how do you think? What do you think the relationship real, is like? I think the relationship is probably strained to an extent of, yeah, we screwed up. Yeah, we've made moves to fix the offense, but no, we didn't appreciate the way you began to show up the coaches and the people who I put into positions of power. But by the same token, I think they'd have to walk over the owner's dead body to trade Mac Jones. I truly do. Mm-hmm. They, well, the well, reason Mac Jones regressed last year had everything to do with the coaching staff decisions, which were harebrained to begin with. So any misgivings about how Mac Jones looked at the sidelines, he held it in until December. He didn't flip out until the Bills game. Pretty good job by him, if you ask me. Yeah, and that was, that was going to be my – sorry, Gresh, that was going to be my good. next question is just, 
I mean, how many real examples do we do? Uh, is there of him really kind of losing his, you know, what and being getting frustrated? It seems like that people are just making it seem like there's more than there actually are. I wonder how many outward. I mean, we saw the outward one. You know, stop with the bleeping quick game, um, waving back at the sideline. Those happened. There was the Arizona game. I think there was some gesturing toward the sideline as well. He slammed a pad down during the preseason, during the Raiders preseason game, when he already could see that it was going sideways. But really, he cut it out. But what were his what were his meeting attitudes like? What were his practice attitudes like? Did he give the high hat to Matt Patricia and Joe Judge to the point where Bill feels he was insubordinate? And if Bill feels he was insubordinate, does Bill then look introspectively and say, okay, well, how much do I share the responsibility for getting a kid in his second year of a four-year contract? Really, it's a four-year contract he's on. And the Patriots just really pissed away one of the years. This year he's going to make 4.25. Next, next year he makes 4.92. They want to pick up his fifth-year option. It jumps to about 30. When he's making $4 million, when in 700 days he's going to be making either 30 or 45 is nuts. Or you're going to move on from him. Well, that, you know, and, and I know that you kind of touched on this, Tom, sort of laying out the stakes for this year with Mac Jones, independent of the team. I mean, he's got a ton of money on the line. And I really wonder if there is any way that Mac Jones can satisfy the fans. If the Patriots say, you know what, we are going to pick up that option. If for anything else, it's much more economically doable to pay a guy $30 million than $45 million. Yeah, and it's guaranteed. And that's approximating from over the cap, who, who does a great job with those mm-hmm. things. I wrote a story about it on NBC Sports Boston.com, but you can read all about that there. But when you look at the decision to be made, I wouldn't pick it up. I'd do what the Giants are doing. I would play it out. I mean, Daniel Jones is not better than Mac Jones. I watched it during training camp last year. I don't know if you guys were there as well during some of those practices, the joint practices with the Giants. He outplayed Daniel Jones by 30%. And I know one guy had Joe Judge, and the other guy had Josh McDaniels. I'm not sure who the uh, OC was for, for the Giants last year, but suffice to say, Mac Jones is probably better than Daniel Jones, who still hasn't put together a year where you go, wow, he's really good. So I'd play it the same way with Mac, but have to understand that when it gets to, and we to, we're talking about this now, it's not premature. They have to pick up his, or decide on his fifth-year option in May of 2024. So that's 14 months away, really. So that's why it's so critical. I'd play it out, though, and keep throwing darts and keep seeing who gets released and winds up on you know, free agency wires because, to me, he hasn't separated enough to make himself a $35 million a year quarterback. What can so, he do? Just be proficient. I think that was the initial question. I'm sorry, I never answered it. No, no, you got to it, though. So last one for me. So the franchise tags numbers came out, and it looks like Jacoby Myers is close to $20 million a year if they decide to franchise tag him. And Jonathan Jones is around 18.4. I mean, kind of needless to say, neither one of those guys are going to get franchised. Yes. Needless to say, and I would imagine Jacoby's probably around half of that. And I thought, look, he's made $6 million in the NFL so far in his four seasons. 
and you've gotten pretty good production out of him. He's walk him out there, and he's going to get you seventy catches, seven hundred yards, three or four touchdowns. Is that not twenty million dollar production? But for wide receivers right now, that might be ten or eleven million dollar production. So you just suck it up and say, here, here's a four year, forty four million dollar contract. We'll be out of you for eight years and fifty million dollars by the time we're done. And I know that's not the way it's done, but does that not make sense? To you guys, business-wise? I mean, it uh, It sounds good, you know, getting everybody to, to play ball on that. That'll be the interesting part. But, Tommy, what you say is not crazy at all. Our friend Tom Kern of NBC Sports Boston. Enjoy the downtime, friend. We'll catch you next week. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. I'll see you. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Modelo. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Modelo, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Tell your smart speaker to play 93.7 WEEI. Gresham Fourier on WEEI. All right, let's talk some NBA coming out of the NBA All-Star Game where Jason Tatum won the All-Star Game MVP. Celtics are off to a uh, hell of a start, and it's really about two-thirds of the way through the season. You want to say the second half starts on Thursday for the Celtics, but it's really like the final third of the season starts for the Celtics on Thursday night, and a guy who won a championship here who knows all about the city of Boston joins us now on the Harbor One Hotline, ESPN analyst, former Boston Celtic, and now author with his book, The Education of Kendrick Perkins. It is Kendrick Perkins with Gresh and Fourier. Perk, good afternoon. How are you? What's up, my brothers? Thanks for having me on. Well, I know that uh, you've got a big event tonight that uh, we are going to get to, but The Education of Kendrick Perkins with Seth Rogoff is the name of the book. And, Perk, I want to start with this. You're a, you are straight country. And at 18 years old, you are thrown into the city of Boston. What the hell was going through the mind of 18-year-old Kendrick Perkins when you went from small-town Texas to the big city that is Boston? Well, well, to tell you how country I was, I didn't even know anything about shipping cars. So I drove 30 hours from Texas to Boston. So that's the first thing, but... You know what? I didn't know what to expect. All I knew is that I, I never experienced snow, so I wanted to see what a, win, a winter actually felt like. But when I got here, it was a complete culture change uh, just on everyday living, right? When you think about, you know, being down south, uh, for us, the food was different. I went from eating gumbo and fried fish to eating clam chowder and, and, and lobster rolls. But... Um, 
it was more I didn't know what to expect. I was just happy that I was drafted and was on my way to start my journey, to be honest, and I was just going to figure everything uh, out when I got here. But then reality hit when I had to go grocery shopping and I just went and got Gatorades and snacks and realized that it was more to that, that I needed toilet paper and paper towels and, and, and detergent. But I think it was the organization, man. It was the new ownership and with Grossback and Steve and Dr. Cash along with Danny and the vets that I had that helped me get through that process and made it easy for me. So when you're when you're, you know, in the AAU circuit, you're traveling all over the place, you're winning championships in Texas, and then you get drafted out of high school, like what was the first like, you know, come to Jesus moment where you said, Uh oh, this this is a little bit more challenging than I had originally expected? Playing basketball, that is. Well, well, the first day of training camp, when I had to get on the scale and get my body fat tested, and you're watching all the guys come in, they taking their shirts off, and you see that they got abs, and body fat percent is at 10%, 6%, and then all of a sudden I get up there and mine at 24%. That was the first reality check that I had to get in shape. Uh, The second one was when training camp actually started. Uh, The pace. The two hour, two and a half hour practice, uh, everything about it, the workload on on my legs and my body, uh, I knew I wasn't ready, and that was the reality check of of actually not actually being in the rotation or being that guy and had to work and earn my spot. So being on the injury reserve list, not playing my first season, dealing with embarrassment from like you know people in your hometown saying, oh, you didn't even get any minutes. That was the reality check in itself. Like, I got work to do. Kendrick Perkins is with Gresh and Fourier here on WEEI. The book, The Education of Kendrick Perkins, is out. And, in fact, tonight, uh, The Education of Kendrick Perkins, moderated by John Corrales. It's in partnership with uh, Brookline Booksmith Arts at the Armory in Somerville. That is tonight at 7 o'clock. You can go to thewilbert.com slash armory slash artist slash Kendrick dash Perkins, and each ticket comes with a copy of the book the education of kendrick perkins and perk you're you're very open about your journey and your life and things like issues like race and fatherhood and things like that but i want to know you you talked about what it was like when you first got to boston how long did it take before kendrick perkins felt comfortable as a basketball player on the floor in the NBA. How long was that process before you knew you belonged? You know what? It took me two years. It took me two years, and I think it was a game where I played against the Philadelphia 76ers uh, against Allen Iverson, and I remember I had like 13 rebounds, and that was the moment when, when Gary Payton came up to me and said, Oh, yeah, you put in work, big fella. And right there was that moment for me. It was like, oh, okay, I could go out here and actually compete. But it actually took me two years to realize that, like, to be able to, to handle the physicality of it, to be able to handle the speed of the game, to be able to think on the fly, uh, to be able to anchor defense and communicate and talk defensive coverages out. That was the defining moment for me. But it took a process for me to get to that moment. And, like, I w- it wasn't, like, an easy process because I wasn't happy. Like, you know, I'm watching 
a lot of guys like Chris Bosh, and I'm watching LeBron James, and I'm watching TJ Ford, guys that I actually played against. I'm actually watching them actually get minutes as soon as they come into the league. And I had to wait my turn. Well, I had to earn my turn. And so, but that moment right there against the 76ers was like, okay, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. So, you know, in the book, The Education of Kendrick Perkins, um, you know, there's some, there's a, there's, just, just like Gresh was saying, there's, it's more than just basketball. It, you know, there's reading some of the things like more of a, an awakening that you had regarding larger issues that affected not only you but fellow players and black Americans. What were some of those things that you noticed and that, uh, that, that caused you to, create, to write this book? Well, I think it was, it was like surprisingly a lot of people would think when I say culture change, when I when I came from Texas to Boston, they would think that, oh, you was coming from the South with Southern hospitality, you coming up North where, you know, it had been rumors or whatever the case may be about racism in Boston, but we never actually, my family and I never experienced that here. And I think when I dove into it, it was more so talking about the moments that I experienced actually racism in my own hometown. And it's still going on today. Like, you know, I was in, I think, middle school when the James Bird uh, Jr. killing happened in Jasper, Texas. And so I had to dive into my area and let people know that, like, it exists deep down south just like it does everyone, everyone everywhere else, especially probably at a high level. But everything that went on over the last three years, when you think about George Floyd and you see guys like Jalen Brown and, and Malcolm Brogdon, like just those young guys in particular that were standing on the front line that uh, approached their interviews uh, at the game and at the games and were speaking like a true leader. Like you could tell they were well-educated, like well prepared and you could tell that they were born leaders and during my time in the league like guys wasn't stepping on the front line like that like me as a 24 year old I, I would never never have stepped up to the plate and went out and addressed you know social justice or, or, or racism or things that was going on in the world but these guys now in this day and age they're different and what I witnessed was I witnessed them somewhat get the whole NBA attention from their ownership groups along with Adam Silver that they was like, no, nah, like, we're going to make a change right now. Like, y'all going to support us in this movement. And they actually got it done. Pretty amazing when you think about it. Kendrick Perkins here with Gresh and Fourier. Uh, the book is The Education of Kendrick Perkins. Uh, again, it is on sale now. And, of course, you can go hang out with Perk and John Corrales tonight, 7 o'clock. Uh, Wilbert.com has all the information. And each ticket, with everything going on at Arts at the Armory tonight in Somerville, comes with a copy of The, uh, the Education of Kendrick Perkins. Perk, can we talk some real-life basketball now? You played on world championship teams. You played on great teams. But the Boston Celtics through 60 games this year have been absolutely fantastic, Perk. How do you put into words what you have seen from the Celtics so far this season? As expected. 
Wow. I expected them. Yeah, I expected them to be this good. I mean, but you think about you think about coming into the season and the additions and what they had already, and the growth that of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Right, you add Malcolm Brogdon, who's a starter probably on majority of other teams in the league. Right, so you got him coming in off your bench. Uh, you have Grant Williams, who is one of the best role players in the game today. And now you have a training camp. Uh, now you're able to have a full training camp with a Derek White, who just won Eastern Conference Player of the Week, uh, you know, two weeks ago or whatever, right? So I'm looking at this team, and I knew they was going to hit the ground running just because I heard Jason Tatum's statements about him not having a great off season, meaning he lost sleep and he was stressed out about his finals performance. I knew he was going to come back in the tag mode. So the regular season, right, I expected them to come out and be the best team in the league, right, because they have so much talent. I also expected them to be a 55-plus win team this season, and they're going to be that. But the Celtic standard is not regular season. Like anything short of reaching the finals again is a bust in my opinion when you look at this roster. So, you know, that's 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 like if you wanted me to sum it up in words, I would say as expected. So Perk, what do you think the one thing the one thing that would trip this team up in the finals would be? Like what's your biggest concern when they get to the playoffs and and deeper into the playoffs? <laughs> So I, I have two concerns, right? The one concern is, is that Robert Williams and his availability. Like, okay, he missed, you know, I think the first two and a half months of the season. All right, and he comes back, and we haven't seen him available consistently. Like, I, I need to see where he plays five or six games straight at a high level, and, and he's able to handle the workload. Because Jason Tatum said it himself. He said Robert Williams is the most important piece to us trying to complete the mission. And so if, you, if you're if you trying to get through a Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis and Brooke Lopez, you're going to need Robert Williams. If you happen to face the Philadelphia 76ers and Joel Embiid, you're going to need a healthy Robert Williams. So I need to see a, 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 a stretch of games where he's playing and not sit and not having to sit out because I'm a little concerned in that area. And then secondly, I need to see Coach Joe Mazzula in the moments where it matters the most. Like I need to see if he match up against a Tom Thibodeau or Eric Spoelstra or Doc Rivers. Is he going to be able to make those in-game adjustments? Is he going to be able to make adjustments through a seven-game series? Is he going to be able to counter what coaches throw at him and mix up his rotations and his lineups. If the, if that, those are the only two concerns that I have, is and, and I need to see more out of Coach Missoula because let's be honest, right? Like this team's so talented that, like I said before, they was gonna win a lot of games in a regular season. But I just seen some games this season where Coach Missoula had to come to the stand and say. It was my bad. Like, I'm working to get better. Well, now we're getting towards the end of the season, and they got Eric Spoelstra that's sitting back in the weeds. They got Doc Rivers that's sitting back. They're going to have a game plan together. 
Like, it's going to be times where he's going to have to put Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in position to be successful and not just solely depend on them and their skill set to be able to get off offensively. Perk, last thing for you. I know that in every, like, college program, they'll always say, well, if we just play such and such basketball, you know, well, in Oklahoma State, if we just play Cowboys basketball, we'll be okay, right? It's so trite. However, yeah. Perk, you learned being a Celtic is different. Can you describe the what it means to be a Boston Celtic and a part of this organization and why it is different than just some of the sayings that are out there? Well, well, because it's one of the most historical franchises franchise in sports history, right? You're talking about the city of champions where you can't fool the fans, right? You can't fool the fans as far as, like, you know, false effort, and you can't fool the fans on how you go out there and compete. And it's a different type of pressure. Now, if you live up to expectations – you're going to always be appreciated for the rest of your life. But if you don't, then it's going to, you know, it's going to be hell on wheels. So when I, it, it's a difference. And I, I talk about that so much, and I talk about that in my book. Like, there's no disrespect to the other organizations I play with, but you don't realize what you got in the moment when you're playing for the Boston Celtics until you actually leave. And there's times that, you know, I would sit back now that I'm retired and I would see an old game from 2008 or 2009 or 2010 that would come on uh, ESPN, a classic game, and I'm sitting up there saying, dang, the garden was rocking. Like, that's me in the thick of things. Like, And you, you have a different appreciation. Even when I come back now and I'm covering games, and I walk into that arena and it's rocking and I'm sitting up here saying it's just different. The energy is just different. The fan base is just different. And so that's what it means. But a person will never know until they actually put on the Celtic uniform. Fantastic stuff from Kendrick Perkins. The book is The Education of Kendrick Perkins. You can get it now. And, in fact, we're going to give away a couple of tickets to Perk's event tonight. Perk, thanks for the time. Good luck with the book. We appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can do a uh, return engagement come playoff time because <laughs> I think the Celtics are going to be playing a lot of playoff games this summer. Uh, uh. I agree, and I'll be around. You know I could talk basketball all day. <laughs> we love it, Perk. Thank you, man. Right. We appreciate all you. Right, Good thanks. luck tonight with everything. There goes uh, the great Kendrick Perkins with us on the Harbor One Hotline. The book is called The Education of Kendrick Perkins. And if you want to go to the event tonight, Arts at the Armory in Somerville, be caller number nine to the contest line right now at 617-931-0937 for your chance to win two tickets. Tickets to the Education of Kendrick Perkins tonight at Arts at the Armory. Limited tickets are still available at Ticketmaster.com. Uh, but right now, caller nine, you're in. 617-931-0937. And you know, Foyer, that answer at the end, with Perk on the whole, you know, like what it means to be a Celtic. I know it's very trite. I know people throw that out there a lot. But to hear him say you got to leave to really realize what it's like 
kind of drives home how special this region is when it comes to fandom. Yep, yep. And it's not just for basketball, too. It's for football. I think it's for baseball. I think it's for all the sports here. When, it's, when you talk about just a, a city that that is in, I'll just call into the into the into sports. They're into sports. They're into the impact. They're into the games. They're into the players. Right. That's that's what I forget about love affair. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> Foyer's dying on us now. <laughs> dying, dying Foyer. No, but to your point, you're right. Like you know, when you went to Washington, I'm sure it kind of drove home the fact that it was a little he, different know, there. It is funny. He said that. It, it, he's right. You don't realize. How good you have it, even though it's challenging and it's difficult and there's a lot of expected of you until you leave and you go to another organization. It just now not saying that there's some other ones that are great too. Of course. But the most of them suck. You know? There's like one aspect <laughs> is good, one aspect is good. You know, and here it's like, you know, all the ownerships, you know, you know, you say what you want about John Henry, the Jacobs, whatever. Like the sports matter here. And that's that's why it's cool to play in this city. Uh, great stuff there from both Foyer and Perk. Are you done? Brings it home next. Original. Original. W-E-E-I. W-E-E-I. New England Sports Original. Now, more Crash and Foyer. On W-E-E-I and streaming everywhere on the Odyssey app. Now, it's time for... Are you done? Are, are you done? Are you done? Are you done? You done, right? You done, right? Are you done? Are you done? On Crash and Fourier. Time for Are You Done? It is sponsored by Unified Office. If you run a business, you know the rough, uh, the rough impact the labor shortage can have on your customer's phone experience. Unified Office specializes in keeping businesses from losing income and customer calls and revenue. Learn more at unifiedoffice.com. Billy Lanny, are you done, friend? Yes, I am. Are you done? Uh, who? Are you done? Done. Dunzo. I am Dunzo. Landman, done. Chicken Nick, are you done? Well, you guys were just talking about Perk, talking about how great it is to play in Boston and everything. And LeBron James was asked over All-Star Weekend if he would like to own an NBA team. And he was talking about bringing a team to Vegas. But he didn't even know which team played in his own stadium, NHL-wise, and it was Come on. It's a really cool city, and they're doing some great things in sports these days. Obviously, you see what the Aces are doing. You know, you got the Raiders there. Uh, you got the Kings there. You know, the hockey team, you got, you know, they're doing a lot of great things down there. So, um, you know, we, we will see what happens uh, and uh, go from there. Kings the Kings. The Kings is the Golden Knights. Knights. Who? The Golden, Golden Knights. Knights. Golden Knights, yes. <laughs> Kings in LA, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Two Kings in LA. Yeah. Imagine, oh my just imagine if Jason Tatum <laughs> didn't know that the Bruins played in the TD Garden with him. <laughs> oh my God! But that's LA, though. That's LA. People kind of expect it, right? It's just, LeBron it's John. different in LA. Yeah, I, it's. Oh God! I love how he's like at the end. Oh, the Two Kings in LA. <laughs> After not knowing which team he played with, yeah, during the se- the seasons at the same time too, he sees like Anze Kopitar walking around. I'm sure doesn't well, know who he is. I mean, don't. isn't isn't it weird there? Because like they've had what is it? Like they've had like the Clippers in there uh, at one point in time, and yeah, I, I don't expect LeBron to. I'm sure he would know where the Penguins play. 
considering he gets that balance sheet. Does you he know, know where I mean? the Red Sox play? Uh, you know what? He doesn't need to. Oh, he's no, he's got his, what is it, a percent or something like yeah, that? Yeah, 1%. He's technically our boss. Ted, yep, 1%. I guess you can look at it that way. I Well, not really. but Are t- you done? T- are, are you done? Are you done? Go sell that to Ken Laird at 2 o'clock. <laughs> I am done. Uh, Fourier, are you done? No, I am not. Okay, so the XFL, we've been talking about it a lot today, and I, I just learned something today that I never knew existed, and it's called a beer snake. Do you know what a beer snake is? Uh, I, I'm aware. You do, what is a beer snake? It is uh, <laughs> like, it, it's basically, isn't it just cups with like the yeah. bottom hold out of them? And yeah. you're, yeah, and everybody tries to hold this like, I think there was one that extended from like the section 200s to 100s somewhere across the great land of ours. Probably college well, see, football related. Yeah, I think yeah. it's more college football related. Well, yeah. no, not anymore because the XFL is doing it. And then and the, as the D.C. defenders were taking on St. Louis. Wow. So the, uh, the D.C. defenders fans were really upset because their beer snake got confiscated by security. And because of that, they started throwing lemons onto the field. Here's the announcers trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Lemons are coming on the field. So what this crew is upset about, you see in the back of the end zone right there, they have a tradition here amongst Defenders fans. And that is they make a beer cup snake out of their empty (laughs) beer cups. And the stadium security took it away from them. So now the fans are revolting. It looks like it's lemons. I think this is great. So it's like a big giant. It's like the old beer bong with the big funnel on it and the hose that you would do like sure. in college. Right? But they've created this. It, to me, I think this is great. It's a community project. Everybody gets involved. I'm not sure who the person is at the end who probably has to. Because eventually they got to toss a beer down there, right? And there's a lot of force, a lot of liquid going down. Sure. It's, real, it's like trying to take a sip out of a fire hose, right? I don't know. It all yeah. the, uh, I don't know if it'd be quite a fire Stone hose. Cold up there? But it's definitely a challenge. There's no question. That, to me, I think is fabulous. I cannot believe I've never heard of a... I've actually never seen or heard of a beer snake at an event in my life. It took the NFL for me to learn about a beer snake. It's the now, XFL. XFL. There's yeah. there there's some impressive ones out there too. I can't believe they confiscate all the cups. They're not doing anybody any harm. Well, they're recycling, Christian. They're trying well, to be I mean, responsible. If everybody's getting in. If this is what the XFL needs, you need this type of you know stuff going on at your game so people get into it. They should not have. They should have not. Have, and then lemons. Why lemons? So we have catfish. Well, they were and drinking hockey. Blue Moon. What are we doing? No, whole lemons. Shut up. There you go. Oh, exactly. Are you, done? Uh, are, are you done? Are you done? Yes. I would like to end with this as the NFL draft approaches. The 2022 NFL player participation chart is out. 2,193 players participated in at least one scrimmage or special teams play during the 2022 season. So, Foyer. In terms of a percentage of the 2,193 players, how many of them were undrafted free agents? Ooh, I'm going to say the number's high. I'm going to say the number's high. You want a percentage? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with um, 
I'm going to go with uh, 18%. Uh, almost double that, friend. Really? 31.3% of the 2,193 players that at least took a snap were undrafted free agents. 12.6% from the first round, 113 from the second, 122 from the third round. So undrafted wow. guys... That's dominating. awesome. I knew the number was higher than people would think, yeah. but that's pretty impressive. And we will uh, tear that apart tomorrow because now we are done. Andy Hart will join us tomorrow. Uh, Chicken Nick and Billy produced it. If something went wrong, blame them. Jones and Mego are next. Fourier and I will see you tomorrow, bright and early at 10 a.m. See you, boys. Are you done? Are, are you done? Are you done? Okay, okay. Are you done? You done, right? You done, right? Are you done? Are you done? Okay, okay.